All right. Amen. Clap your hands. This is what I love about babies. I could come out here every Sunday wearing a goofy hat, stick my tongue out, and I would never get aw. That's what I love about babies, man. It doesn't matter what they do. You, it's an awe moment. And so and this is awesome. Now, listen, uh, it's Baby Dedication Sunday. And so the message today is for parents who have babies. But this is what's amazing about God's Word. It is a, a, applicable to every single person in here. Uh, whether you have no babies yet, whether you've already raised your babies, whether you are a baby yourself, it doesn't matter where you are at. Okay, this message is for you. And we're in Exodus chapter 17. We are navigating through this amazing book penned by Moses 3,500 years ago. And we're not changing gears. We're going to trek right on through it. And today's message is for parents. And it's for our church. Now, we just, we, we're in Exodus chapter 17. So you can be finding your place there. <clears throat> and as you find your place there, let me bring you up to speed to what's going on. So... Israel has been in bondage for over 400 years, and God has promised to let them out, and he did. They cross over two million strong over the dry bottom of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army chases them, and God closes the water and destroys the Egyptian army. They get to the other side. Exodus chapter 15, they throw a party. They sing and dance and just have a good old time. Chapter 15 begins, and they're still in the same mode as they were in 15 in chapter 17, and it's this. They are now in the wilderness journey. And the word wilderness appears over and over and over in the book of Exodus. And this is the, 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 the land in the middle. It's in the middle of their deliverance from Egypt. But it's before they, wait, they make it into the promised land. And, and we talked about the word wilderness. It, it's a type. It, it, it was true for Israel. They're in the wilderness in the middle between these two great moments. And you and I, as God chasers, as disciples of Jesus, as Christians, as the church, you and I are in the wilderness every day of our life. We are between these two great events from when we've been delivered from bondage to sin until we make it into our promised land, standing before our God in heaven. We're in the land in the middle, in the middle and we are in the wilderness. Now, we're learning in the life, life in the wilderness in the middle, it ain't always easy. It's just tough. It's just some hard days, okay? And, we're, it, and nobody's exempt. Everybody in here is in this wilderness. There's no exemptions, no exceptions. And in the wilderness, this is what we find out. We all of a sudden, we have needs. Everybody in the wilderness has needs. Israel had them. You and I have them. It's just true, okay? And they're different flavors on different days. So these needs arise and we have to determine, decide what we're going to do with them. Well, what we learned last week is this. Wilderness provision always comes from God. God delivers us from something. He's got us in the wilderness to teach us faith and trust and hope in him. And he's got provisions for us. And he watches us and he's training us to trust him more. Our provisions are always found in him. Now, we're going to learn a different dimension of the wilderness journey today, something that God will also provide to us, and that is this, wilderness protection. We all have protection in our life. I own a home. I have home insurance. I own a car. I have car insurance. I, I have to go to the doctor from time to time. I have health insurance. We have protection. We have locks on our doors. We have fences around our yards. We have ways to protect us. But I want you to know, no matter what you do as an individual, no matter what you do in the wilderness to protect yourself, there's always going to be an enemy that you didn't protect yourself for. 
And that is when the question arises, where do I find my protection now? And I want you to know that the protection is always extended to us and it's extended from God. Now keep in mind, we're in Exodus chapter uh, 17 and in verse 7 we left off and they were whining and complaining because they had a physical need. They didn't have any water. And they thought, Moses, you brought us out here so the, the whole lot of us are going to just die of thirst. God told Moses, he said, Moses, I will meet you on the rock of Horeb. And when you strike the rock with your stick, I will pour forth water so they can drink. All right? So we have this wilderness provision. It's a good day. I want you to know that in the wilderness journey, more often than not, when a miracle comes, it's followed by mayhem. When a miracle shows up, mayhem is close behind it because you and I have enemies in our life. If you're a child of the God, if you're a child of God, you have an enemy in your life. He's been an enemy of God since God banished him from heaven. He will continue to be uh, an enemy of God until his days are over and God cast him into the abyss, into hell itself. Okay, he's an enemy of yours. He hates God. He cannot hurt God. So his desire is to hurt everything that God loves. And he loves you the most. Tell the person next to you God loves you the most. Tell the person next to you that's a big deal because sometimes it's hard for me. Let's just be honest in church, right? Sometimes it's hard. But God keeps on loving. It's amazing. And so because God loves us, Satan, the enemy, hates us. So we had a miracle, water from a rock, they all get a drink. Now we move to Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Amalek came and attacked Israel in Rephidim. So God moves them through Moses, leads them out to Rephidim, and that's where they're camping out. Okay, two, uh, two million strong, and they've just been given water, and now all of a sudden the enemy attacks. So what are we going to do to protect ourselves? Now, before we get to that, we have to ask ourselves a question because this is a new player on the scene, Amalek. Now, Amalek is an individual's name, but he represents a people group, a nation. Just like when we refer, refer to Israel, it's a nation's name, but it was, is derived from an individual whose name was Israel. Okay, And so when he says Amalek attack, it's the Amalekites. Now, who are the Amalekites? These are enemies of Israel, but they're a picture of the enemies of God, the enemies in your life. Amalek is the grandson of a guy named Esau. When I say grandson, he was the original grandson of Esau. You may remember the story, Exodus chapter 22 through 26. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, they old. Wanting a baby, can't have one. God promises a baby to Abraham. Abraham's like, uh, I'm 100. And Sarah is 90, okay? And God grants them this baby. And his name is Isaac. Isaac grows up and he has children. And he has children, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau come from Isaac's wife, Rebekah. And Jacob and Esau are twins, okay? And in the womb, they're, they're at each other. They're already at each other. In fact, in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21, this is where this battle between the Amalekites and the Israelites, this is where it begins. In Genesis 25, 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. But the children, plural, twins, struggled inside of her and she said, why is this happening to me? You don't even have to have twins. 
When you get full term, why is this happening to me? All right. It goes on. It says, so she asked the Lord, verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. <laughs> Enough said. It's one thing to be pregnant full term. It's another thing to have two nations at war in your womb. Ladies, pregnant ladies, you thought you had it rough. This is a bad day in the neighborhood for motherhood. And so she, it goes on, it says, God says, and two people will be separated from within you. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. What does that even mean? Older, they're twins. You read the story, you find out that Esau makes it into this world and takes the, the, breath, of the, uh, the, the breath of air first. But you also read that Jacob, whose name is Surplanter or Troublemaker, he's grabbing on to Esau's heel because he wants to be first before they ever get here. They're fighting about who's first, okay? Now, they get here. I just thought we got a pair of twins right here in front. They've never fought about anything. Now, that's a lie. Uh, they're fighting from before they ever get here. Now they get here and we find out that Esau, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful, funny story. It says he was red and hairy. I mean, he's a little werewolf baby, okay? He's a beast, all right? And then you got Jacob. And it says Jacob was, was smooth, no hair. And Esau ends up hanging out in the field, uh, hunting with his dad. He's an outsidesy guy. And Jacob hangs around with mom at the house and he's a chef. Well, as they get a little older, Esau comes in after hunting and he wants, the, he, he wants something to eat. Well, Jacob is a cook. And Jacob wants the birthright. He still wants to be first. So Esau pursues his fleshly desires. And he trades his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew or a bowl of stew. Now, this is the people that we're talking about. At each other, at each other, at each other. Now, spin the timetable forward about four or 500 years. They're still after each other. Now, we find the Amalekites, the grandchildren of Esau, in opposition to the Israelites, the grandchildren of Jacob, and they're still at war. Now, these guys, the Amalekites, are seasoned warriors. They are camel-riding desert pirates. That's what they are for a living, okay? They just look for the weak, and they, they attack them. They take what they want. They abuse them, and they walk away with the loot. And that's what they're going to do. But I want you to know something. They're also terrorists. They're cowards. How do we know? Well, as we keep reading the Bible, we find Moses is in, later is going to look back, and he's going to describe this particular battle. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, this is what he says about the Amalekites and how they attacked. He says, remember what the Amalekites did to you on your way from Egypt. How they met you along the way and cut off all your stragglers in the rear of the march when you were exhausted and tired and they were unafraid of God. They attacked the rear, the stragglers, the disabled, the mothers with small children, the senior adults, the weak. That's who they attacked. These guys are cowards. They're terrorists. And this is what we have at play. Now, I share all that to let you know, listen to me. That battle raged for generations. And I want you to know this is the first battle for Israel. The first battle recorded. The first time they fight. 3,500 years later, you can turn on your news today. And guess what? They still fight. They're still fighting. Why? Because Israel is considered the original child of God. Chosen people of God. The nation of God that he would introduce himself to the world through. And because of that, the enemy 
hates Israel. And I want you to know something. You are going to have battles in your life until Jesus comes back or takes you home. Why? Because the enemy hates you just like the enemy hated Israel. I want you to know something today. If you have the seal of the Holy Spirit on your heart, you have the target of Satan on your back. I just want you to know that it's real. When we get saved, we're not delivered from the enemy, uh, all of the enemy, his attacks. His attacks will continue to come. Now, this story, though, is not about some ethnic hate crime. It's not about the power of the enemy that we're supposed to be afraid of. This whole story is about understanding an enemy who desires to discredit, disarm, and disconnect you from the power of your most high God. I want you to know something. The enemy has nothing on God. All that the enemy has, God has temporarily bestowed or allowed him to have it. But there's, he, the enemy is always a created being, not the creator. And so we don't have anything to fear except to, fear, to reverentially fear the God of everything. And when we get that perspective right, we win in the end. Now, I want you to know that the devil is real. Uh, you, you can turn on the news and the devil's real. Uh, you can talk to your friends and look at their families. The devil is real. You can go visit our schools. The devil is real. You can go to Washington, D.C. It's very real. He is real. And we know that. But I want you to know the, de- the, the scripture tells us that. In fact, in John 10, 10, the scripture says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He tells us. This is Jesus Jesus told us, the thief, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's real, and this is what he comes to do. He goes on, he says, but on the other hand, he says, I come to give you life that you might have it more abundantly. Okay? So God tells us the devil's real. The enemy is real. And we, we read in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says this. He says, be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is a roaring lion seeking someone to play with. No, wait a minute, that's not right. It's the seeking to devour, okay? The enemy is real in your life. And sometimes we misidentify the enemy. Sometimes we start thinking each other are the enemy. Our wife, she's the enemy. Our husband, he's the enemy. Our children, they're the enemy. Our mom and dad, they're the enemy. My boss, I know he's the devil, okay? Uh, the police officer pulls you over, he's the devil, okay? Meanwhile, God's saying, shut up. That's not the enemy, The enemy is Satan himself. Now, he may be used by your wife. He may be used by your husband. He may be used by a police officer or a teacher or whoever it is. But the enemy is Satan himself. And and we need to begin to fight the right enemy. So where do we find wilderness protection? Well, I want you to understand, we're going to see this today, that sometimes we say, well, I just need to, you need to pray more. Okay? You've got an addiction in your life. You need to pray more. Okay, you've got a battle in your relationship. You need to pray for that relationship more. You've got a wayward child. You just need to pray for that child more. You've got a situation at work where your boss is just a a, a miserable human being. You just need to pray for him more. Well, I want you to know that's not unfair or untrue. But I want you to know that you and I, as children of God, need to have skin in the game. In other words, we have a part to play. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says this in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. So we get our protection from his power. 
Verse 11 now, our responsibility. He says, clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He says, I, I want you to do something now. You can pray to me all day, and that's awesome. I want you to do that. But I want you to do something. I want you to clothe yourself so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 1 Timothy 6.12 reiterates it. says this. He says, compete well. Your scripture might say, fight the good fight. For the faith and lay hold of that eternal life you were called for and made your good confession for in the presence of many witnesses. There's a time to pray, church, and there's a time to put up your dukes and fight, okay? Now, my dad always told me this. He said, don't pick a fight, but be willing to fight one, okay? In other words, we're not to go around picking fights, but there's a time and a place when the enemy picks the fight, and we need to plant our feet and fight back, okay? We need to fight for ourselves, and we need to fight for the ones that God has given us custody over, the one, our children, the ones that he has given us to protect and to look after. I want you to know today that lazy Christianity is defeated Christianity. That's what scripture tells us, and I'm a walking testimony. I got saved when I was 10, and I fought the good fight, man. I, I had my dukes up. I was fighting for several years, and then I got in high school, and I just, I just gave it up, man. I surrendered to the, wrong, to the wrong person. I surrendered to the enemy. And I walked like the devil till, till most of, till I was a junior in college. And then Kendra came along and she basically said, if you're going to be with me, we don't play that way. And I said, well, I'd rather be with you than the devil, so let's change things. And he, took, he began to, to, to take all that stuff out. Now, there's, there's a place in our life where if we don't fight back a good fight, we're defeated. And that's what my life was when I was in high school and early college. I was a Christian. I'd go to church every night, but I was defeated. There was no victory in my life. I had miserable Christianity, all right? And God did not die, send his son to die on a cross to rescue anybody from the bondage of sin to defeated Christianity. Jesus died on a cross to offer us full deliverance and full victory. I want you to know that today. Now, we're talking about where we find protection um, for the battle, wilderness protection. We can look back in the Old Testament. Now, sometimes people say, well, I, I just don't think we ought to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament because we're, <clears throat> we're grace people. We're under the new covenant. Sure we are. But we ought to look back at the old people under the old covenant, under the law, and we can learn from them. Listen to what Scripture says in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. These things happened to them in the Old Testament as examples and were written for our instruction. But we can learn from the mistakes of people 4,000 years ago and make our life better and easier today. I think it's better to learn from somebody else's mistakes than to get beat up all by ourselves. And that's what we're going to do in this story. So in this story, we're talking about wilderness protection. Number one, it begins with a personal stance on the back of your life guide, a personal stance. And we begin in verse 9 of 17, and it says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought against Amalek just as Moses had instructed him. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. I want you to know wilderness protection is inclusive. Okay? Protection from God is an inclu inclusive formula. It's all God and his power, but he wants to include you in the equation. 
you see, we can pray and pray and pray, but there's a place in your life when you're battling things in your life. I don't care what it is. It could be substance. It could be alcohol. It could be pornography. It could be power. It could be uh, authority or control. It could be materialism. It could be uh, uh, relationship, whatever. There's battles in there. There's a place where you pray, you pray, you pray. You invite other people to pray and pray and pray for you. But listen to me. It's inclusive. There's a place where you and I simply have to place our feet in the ground, tether ourselves to the truth of the power of God, and take a stand against the enemy. He won't always fight our battles for us completely. He wants us in the game. You see, Moses is at a weird place. His people are being attacked. Now, if you were reading your Bible, say, through the Bible in a year, and you get to Exodus chapter 17, you just kind of read through that, you know, oh, it's cool, a little fight, whatever, whatever. Let's unpack this a little bit. Moses is at a place where he's all in. We've got to do something about this enemy, or he's going to plague us until we are just obliterated. So he says, Joshua, I want you to go out there and pick us some warriors. Okay? They're not warriors. They're no boot camp. There's no commander training. Okay? They were brick makers and brick masons. They were farmers. They were carpenters. They were slaves. 400 years, that has been their life. Now Moses looks around, and this new guy shows up on the scene. Rock star. His name's Joshua. Moses is in his early 80s, and he looks back, and historians say that this, at this point, Joshua would be about 40 years old. And, God, and Moses looks out among all of his two million people, and he says, Joshua, you are the guy. And out of the shadows comes this young guy named Joshua. And Moses says, Joshua, I know our enemies. I know they're terrorists. I know they're seasoned and trained warriors. But we got to fight. It's time for us to take a personal stance. I want you to go out there and pick us an army. And boot camp is going to last one day because tomorrow we're going to fight. Now, here's what's odd about it. Right in the middle of that, Moses, man, he's getting, Joshua's fired up and he said, by the way, me and my two old codger buddies, we're going to go up on the hill and watch. All right? Now, that's the story. That's how it unpacks. Now, here's the beauty of it. Joshua does exactly what Moses says and Moses does exact, exactly what he said he would do. He joined in the fight. Now, Everything is on the line. Joshua, Joshua had every reason to protest. He doesn't stutter. He doesn't stammer. He doesn't make a statement. He goes out and picks him an army. I'm just telling you, that's, that's, that's just way out there cool, okay? He got nothing to work with, okay? And he picks an army because God told Moses, who told him to pick an army, because tomorrow we fight. Church, that's not the world we live in. We live in a world that, hey, everybody's got a voice. Hey, man, this, this is America. We get free speech, okay? I've got an agenda. I have all the answers. I've figured this all out. I don't want to put my life on the line. Somebody else can put their life on the line. I want to enjoy the freedom, but I don't want to have to fight for it. That's not Joshua. Joshua jumped in way over his head simply because the man of God said, you go pick an army, tomorrow we're going to fight. I just love Joshua, man. He, he's ultimately going to be the successor of Moses and lead the people into the promised land in the absence of Moses. 
But it's on this one day, listen to me, when a man surfaces from the shadows with a battle before him, but a God that was bigger than the enemy, and he was ready. And God is looking for more people like that. Instead, we live in a world where we begin to second-guess our leaders. We begin to undermine our leaders. We begin to, if we're, not un, if we're unhappy with the leadership, we begin to, to build up a little team around us and, and start bad-mouthing the leader and create a narrative to make the leader look bad. Listen to me. That's of the devil, okay? That is of the devil, you, and I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about any leader, spiritual leader in your life. You need to be very careful how you treat them. Pray for them, encourage them, help them along the way. We'll see that today, but you need to be very careful that we don't undermine what it is that God has called them to do. You see, Joshua had every reason to pull the victim card. Every reason. We're all victims at some level. You understand that? All of us are victims at some level. But God levels the playing field and he moves us from the victim camp to victory camp. He says, I'll take all your messes. I'll put them under the blood of Jesus on the cross and I'll march you to victory regardless of what setback, what difficulty you've had in your life. It's the greatness of God. So he didn't pull it. He, he could have said, Joshua could have said, time out, Mose. Listen, bro, you're awesome, man. Water from rocks with a stick, that's, that's stinking cool, okay? Uh, you know, I, I remember the plagues. Moses, you got it. But listen, you're telling me to take a bunch of yahoos who've never fought a fist fight, okay, and to go fight seasoned warriors. We're, we're not going to win that battle. We're slaves. Give me some time. To... None of that. None of that. He just dives in and begins to, to do what God has told Moses to tell him to do. Why? What's the difference? Because here's a man whose eyes were opened. Here's a man who has seen God's man accomplish great things for a whole nation. Here's a man who has seen God's man's God do amazing miracles in the life of their people. And here's a man who says, that God leading that man has invited me into this work. I'm in. I want to see what God is going to do through me in this world. Joshua sensed the reality, listen, that God, for some reason, was going to allow him to be a part of God's kingdom agenda. Now, what we do in this life is we assign ourselves to the world's agenda. What does the world think is great what, the, what is the world going to give the most accolades to and the most appreciation and provide the most resources to? That's what I need to do. Meanwhile, God says, I have this kingdom agenda that's bigger than you can even imagine or see. And I'm willing to put my reputation on the line and include you in it. I want you to impact your world on my behalf. I want you to impact your circle of influence on my behalf. And if you just commit to it, I'll do something great in your life. Joshua knew that God was big. So wilderness is, protection is inclusive. God will always do his part, but God also wants us to do our part. We need to demonstrate to God that we have faith 
in God doing great things. But we need to demonstrate to God that he can have faith in us doing what he wants us to do. It's a two-way street. It's a two-sided coin. Now, how do we do it? James 4, 7 says it begins like this. This is what it looks like. James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. There's an enemy out there, and he's real. And we have to learn to fight. Now, Joshua knew five things. He had marching orders from his leader. The enemy wanted him to fail. The Israelites were not trained for warfare yet. Moses was going to go up on top of the hill, and God was big. That's all he knew. That's all he knew. And that was all he needed to know. And so he jumps in with both feet. Now, it's true for us today as individuals, as a Christian. It's true for you. It's true for our ministries. It's true if you have a life group. It's true for your group. It's true for this church. It's true that, that we all have wilderness marching orders, okay? All of us. We know what we're supposed to do. It's real easy. Great commandment, great commission. Love God, love people, and tell them about Jesus. We, we, we have marching orders. Number two, we realize that there's an enemy who wants you to fail. Number three, three we realize that we are not qualified for this task. Fourthly, we realize we have leaders who are for us and not against us. And lastly, we have the same big God that Joshua and Moses had, just a different day. The difference is Joshua jumped in, planted his feet, took a stand, and did what he knew God wanted him to do. And we don't live in that world today, church. How do I know? Easter is in two weeks. The leader, the pastor, encourages you every week, take an invite card, put a sign in your yard, invite your people, to your friends and your circles to church. Why? Because statistically it's the greatest opportunity for people to join you in church. And yet Easter will be here in two weeks, and most of us haven't started inviting anyone. And Easter Sunday will come, and we won't bring anybody with us. Because why? Because we're not like Joshua. Because we don't jump in with both feet. What we want to do is we want to analyze it. We want to break it down. We want to discredit it. We, 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 we want to know that God is going to provide for us, but we don't want to uh, do what it takes for us to protect the interest that God has given us in his kingdom. And so it's time for us to take a personal stance. I remember when I was in about uh, fourth grade. It was summer. And I was in Clinton Swimming Pool. Anybody from Anderson County had a big community pool. And we would go on Wednesdays. And there were these two guys throwing a ball. And I was in uh, middle school, I mean elementary school. And these guys were in high school. They were big guys. And a ball came over to where I was at. And the guy wanted me to throw the ball to him. And I threw it to the other guy, the guy he was throwing the ball with. Next thing you know, this guy's over on, coming at me. Next thing you know, he's big. Next thing you know, he pushed me under the water until I bubbled. And I'm under the water. And I'm thinking, I'm going to drown in Clinton swimming pool. Where's the lifeguard at? They're paying him probably 50 cents an hour. Where's he at? And there's no lifeguard. And this is what I thought. I may not win this fight, but if I get up, he's going to know I was in one. And I got up, and I haymakered it and turned around and smathered his nose right on the side of his head. And blood squirted out everywhere. Now, he was a much bigger enemy, a much bigger person than I was. He was my enemy. And I didn't know if I was going to win that fight. But he was going to know there had been a fight. And that's what all God is saying. Listen, win, lose, or draw. Get in the game, take a stance, and fight back for what matters. Fight for the kingdom. Fight for your families. Fight for your relationship with your marriage. Fight for your children. Fight for the church because the enemy came to fight. 
And it's up to us whether or not we'll fight back. <clears throat> now, I want you to understand when it comes to faith, in real, scripturally, there's two kinds of faith. There's a passive faith and there's an active faith. And there's a balance. There's a place where we exercise passive faith. What is that? It's that place where we fully depend on God where we fully trust in God, where we fully rest in the work of, of the Lord, where we fully trust and watch God work. Proverbs 3 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. But there's a time for active faith. Active faith is where we take a personal stand, where we fight back, doing the responsible things that God has called us to do. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, Be sure you live out the message and do not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. In the New King James, it simply says, Be doers of the word and not only hearers. James 2.26 says, Without faith, a faith without works is dead. So we've got to take a personal stand. Now, secondly, I want you to see, we also have to um, commit ourselves to prayerful surrender. Prayerful surrender, not to the enemy, but to the bigness of our God, all right? Listen to what it says now in verse 11 in the same passage, Exodus 17. Now, here it is. Joshua was fighting in the valley with his one-day-old army, okay? The Amalekites are at war there. Moses goes up on the hill with his two bros, okay? He's got uh, Aaron, and he's got her. So he's standing up there. Now, keep in mind, Moses is in his early 80s. Aaron, his brother's three years older than him, so mid-80s. And her is considered by historians to be the husband of Miriam, their sister. So it's Moses, his brother, and his brother-in-law. It's Moses, he's got him, and he's got her. Okay, they're both up there together. Now, he's standing in the middle while this battle is going on. <clears throat> and so the question comes to mind, well, how come they didn't go fight? When you get 80s, you, your fights, that side of your fight is kind of gone. And so you have to learn how to fight smarter and not harder because it'll hurt you. And so while Joshua is fighting Amalekites, Moses is spiritually fighting principalities and powers of the air. Now watch what happens. It says, whenever Moses would raise his hands, then Israel prevailed. But whenever he would rest his hands, then Amalek prevailed. And so, so the battle is going on. And when Moses raises his hands and his staff in the air, the banner, the standard in the air, they win. When he gets tired because blood starts leaving your fingers and your hands and fingers go numb and your arms start hurting and your arms come down, Amalek begins to find victory over, over Israel. It's important to note that the strength and our success doesn't come from our personal ability it comes from our personal surrender to a great God. That's all Moses is doing. Moses is saying, I'm going to go up on the hill, and I'm going to surrender our fight to God. And when I raise my hands, I'm going to be surrendering us, not to the Amalekites, but to God. Now you say, well, how do you know he's praying? Because there's no words in here about, about praying. How do we know? Well, Prayer is not a matter of words of the mouth. Prayer is a matter of the posture and intention of the heart. You see, I could be standing here right now, and I could, be, I could start, hey, let's pray, and I could say some verbal prayer and whatever. Or I could be standing here while I preach, which I often do, and my spirit is praying. 
Praying is a posture of the heart. So why do I then believe that that's what he's doing? Because thus far in Exodus, every time God does something amazing, every time, Moses has just had a conversation with God. And what is a com- another word for a conversation with God? Prayer. So Moses is there praying on behalf of his people. John Bunyan, an author of a book called Pilgrim's, Pro- Pilgrim's Progress, says this, in prayer, it is better to have heart without words than to have words without heart. Now, Moses could have been up there if he was like me. He went up on the, he said, I'm going up on the hill, and here's why. Because when the Amalekites come out, I'm going to holler, hey, Amalekites, do you see what I've got in my hand? (laughs) Yeah, it's a stick. You've heard the stories of the stick. Don't make me come down there with my stick. Because if I come down there with my sticks, every one of y'all are going to be smitten, smoted, and smiked. Okay? You're gone. And he didn't do that. He didn't have to do that. He says, you go, Joshua, you and your team go wield the sword. You go take a stand. You fight. I'm going to prayerfully surrender the power of this standard, this stick. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to pray and let God fight on your behalf. Now, Some people, here's a point, I need you to listen. Lean in if you didn't hear anything else. Sometimes people say, well, that's cool that Moses was praying. And it would be good if I prayed well. If I prayed diligently and without ceasing, as Scripture says, it would be good if I prayed more. But sometimes I don't pray and things work out okay. Or surrender. Well, I don't. It would be good if I would fully surrender to Jesus and just give him my whole life, every part of it. But I give him part of my life, and and I keep some of it to myself, and it's going to work out okay. I want you to know that is a false philosophy. That is of the devil. And you see it right here. When Moses' arms got weak and he stopped surrendering and praying to God, the Amalekites and the Israelites didn't just keep fighting neutrally. Oh, no. When the surrender and the prayer stopped, the Amalekites won. And I want you to know, in your personal life, in your wilderness journey between salvation and glorification, when you are not praying and when you are not intentionally surrendering to to the Lordship of Jesus, listen to me, the enemy is not neutral. You're losing. We lose. And that's why our families are destroyed And that's why our church is being eroded away. And that's why our liberties are going away. Because we think if we don't pray and we don't surrender, the end result is neutral. And it's not true. The enemy begins to win the battle. And the problem is, we talk to our the people in our circle about all of our problems. Okay? I have people tell me about all their problems. And in fairness, I tell people my problems too. Okay, And the people that we tell, for the most part, they can't help one ounce in our problems. Meanwhile, there's a great big God who loves us so much he died on a cross to rescue us. He would love to hear our problems. And we can talk to people who can't help our problems literally for hours. But when it comes to God, 10 minutes in a prayer closet and we're done. And he is the one who holds the power and holds the key to the successes in our, to our problems. So wilderness protection includes personal stance, prayerful surrender. Number three, provisional support. It says in verse 12, when the hands of Moses became heavy, they took a stone and put it under him. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands 
one on one side and one on the other. And so his hands were steady until the sun went down. Moses is up there with his two old friends. Moses is in the middle engaged in warfare, prayer. And Moses has two friends that when Moses gets weak and Moses can't seem to do it anymore, his friends stood along beside him, began to lift up his arms and to help him. I want you to know something, church. We're not in this thing alone. I'm not in it alone, and you're not in it alone, and that's good news. The church is designed to be a system for people to find errands and hers to come alongside us and hold our arms up when we're weak and encourage us and slide a stone under us to help us have something to be seated on, to help us in our weakness. That's what the church is for. And that's what the church family is for. And, and I'm blessed. I have an amazing group of uh, a support system. I have leaders in the church, friends in the church, uh, uh, deacons in the church, staff in the church who come alongside to help me, to encourage me, to undergird me, to lift me up. You don't know it, but you may not know it, but every week we have deacons of the week. There's a pair of them. And during the week, that's who we call if we've got needs. And, and on Sundays, part of the responsibility is to, is to be with me on Sunday morning. And you probably don't know this. Before our early service every week, the two deacons of the week come to me and they pray over me. They lay hands on me and they pray over me. Okay? They undergird me. And, and during the entrance, when I welcome people, I'm glad you're here. That's why I stand out there. I'll say bye to you when you leave to let you know I was glad you came. I hope you come back next week. But they're out there close to me, standing. They may not be right up in my circle, but they're close. Why? In case some of you crazies don't like what I preach about, you want to start something, they'll bust you up. <laughs> it's their job description, so don't try nothing. Okay? Now, they're here for me. I could call my deacons any day of the week. I could call my leaders any day of the week. I could call our staff any day of the week. They're here. And I want you to know, you need in your life, you need people to come alongside you as provisional support because you are not in it alone. Joshua was wielding the sword all day. And Moses, all he had to do was hold up a stick. And he grew weary. But if Joshua was going to fight all day, Moses was going to hold up the stick all day. Why? Because they're in this thing together. Church, we're in this thing together. There's an enemy who hates us. He hates us all the same, all right? But there's a God who's bigger, who loves us greater, and he wants us to win. And we don't fight the enemy alone, and we don't fight our battles alone. You think you're in a battle that somebody else in here hadn't been in? That's a lie. We've all been in them. You think you're fighting fights every day and you're the only one? That's a lie. We're in this thing together and we need to have provisional support. Number four, when we do things God's way, pursuing protection from God, at some point, you and I will find profound success. Verse 13 says, so Joshua destroyed Amalek. And his army with the sword. The Hebrew word for destroy there means to render disabled. In other words, the same weak group of people that the Amalekites attacked in the rear of the nation of Israel, they are going to walk now in their shoes. They're going to be weak, straggling, 
disabled. And ultimately, God says, I will wipe them off of the face of the earth. God is for you, church. Christian, God is for you. If he's willing to die on a cross to rescue you from you, he is on your side. Scripture says in Romans 8, what then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? I need to finish. Lastly, there's a published standard. Verse 14, so the Lord, first time this happens, the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and rehearse it in Joshua's hearing. For I will surely wipe out the remembrance of, um, of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and he called it, the Lord is my banner. For he said, for a hand was lifted up to the throne of the Lord, that the Lord will have a war with Amalek from generation to generation. So you need to be people of prayer. I need to be a person of prayer. And when we pray, we need to record our prayers. And when God answers our prayer, what we do often, you know this is true, we pray, we never look for answered prayer. And unless it's a really big deal, we don't go to God with gratitude and thanks for answering our prayer. And we don't record them and we don't grow from them. So listen, we need to be people of prayer. We need to write our prayers. God, this is what I'm asking of you, okay? And this is what you can expect of me in the, in, as I engage in this situation. And when God answers our prayers... We record that prayer just like this. God said to Moses, Moses, you write this down as a memorial and you rehearse it with Joshua. In other words, for seasons and generations to come, you can look back and remember that was a moment when God heard my prayer, when God did battle on my behalf, when God did something big and my faith is growing stronger because I look back and see what he did. We've got a life group in our church. They meet on Wednesday nights. They pray. And they write down their prayers. As of last week, they have 243 answered prayers. Now listen, you write down answered prayers. Amen. In fact, when I get sick, I'm going to call them first. And then I'm going to call my grandchildren. Because those are prayer warriors. Okay? Record your prayers. Record answered prayers. And grow from it. Now, we got to close. we got to close. So here it is. We can look back 3,500 years like 1 Corinthians says, and we can, we can learn from what they went through. But listen to me today in this very room. In this very room, there are battles raging in lives in this very room. And there are people in here who have survived and made it through by the hand of God through battles in the past in their lives. And what I'm going to invite you to do is if you're in a battle today, I'm not asking you to tell me what your battle is. I'm not asking you for, to stand up here and confess the battle. But if you're in a battle today, a relationship battle, a health battle, a financial battle, uh, a... a uh, an addiction or substance abuse, abuse battle, whatever the battle is, I'm giving you the opportunity today to take a personal stand regarding that and to fight back. And you say, I have been fighting. I'm talking about to walk to this altar 
as a confession to God that I'm going to prayerfully surrender this battle and let you fight on my behalf. I'm standing. I'm going to do my part because it's inclusive. But I'm prayerfully surrendering and I'm going to trust you. Now I'm going to invite you to come up here in just a minute if you're in a battle. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of weird. I didn't really come here for that. Fine, leave with your battle. But some will come. And you know what else? Those people in here who have gone through the battle, who have fought the battle, who have prayerfully surrendered in the battle, who have took a stand in the battle in the past and God has delivered you, it's time for you to come alongside these others and offer provisional support. You made it through. Praise God, you're alive. And you have the opportunity just to come along up here at the altar too and pray for those. You don't need to know their battle because you know the one who wins all battles. You pray to that God. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I pray right now that you'd give us freedom. That God, if there's someone in here facing a battle, maybe been wrestling this thing for months or years. God, maybe it's a fresh battle. Hit them this morning on the way to church. God, I pray that they would be willing to say, you know what? I want to fight this battle differently. I'm going to walk up to that altar and take a personal stand. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to make a prayerful surrender to, to you because you're the one who wins our battles. And then, God, I'm going to pray that you would liberate people to come and pray for those who come first. God, we thank you for this story that we learned from 3,500 years ago. We thank you that it was written to help us today. We pray it all in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a song. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to sing a song. And as this song is being sung, if you have a battle today and you'd like to take a stand in prayerful surrender, I invite you right now to simply walk down here to the front. Come on down to the front. You've got a battle, come on down here to the front. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Don't be bashful. If you want to fight this battle, take a stand. You come on forward in this battle. I'm going to give you just a minute to come on down. Walk on down here. If you've got a battle and you want God to intervene, you come on down here. Come on down. Amen. 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 And now as these have come, if you've been through a battle and you've seen victory in the Lord, I want you to come on down and just come around behind these people. You can just stand. You can lay a hand on them. I want you to pray over these people that God would give them victory and deliverance in their battle.
Father, we just thank you, God, for loving us all the time. We thank you for your amazing sacrifice of the blood of your son upon a cross. And that's where we find our victory. And God, I thank you for those who are willing to come forward and take a personal stance and to give prayerful surrender to you, not to the enemy, but to you. God, for those who came around to support them. And now, God, I pray that you will build our testimonies, God, that you will create a new, fresh witness about the greatness and the glory of who you are. God, I I, I pray, God, that you will give deliveries to those who need deliverance, that you will make provision for those who need provision, for those, God, who are hurting and who are wondering about the future, God, that you will give certainty and clarity, God, and victory, and that you will reveal yourself in a great and mighty and powerful way because, God, you can do it because you're a great God. And God, in the end, will give you the praise, will give you the glory for it all. We'll do our part, but we trust you to do the greater part, and we pray it in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen and amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.